Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God your Father and from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned to the kids before, our text for this Sunday is the gospel lesson commonly known as the Beatitudes. Now, something that's very common for pastors to do is to take a name of something and twist it around a little bit. And whenever the Beatitudes come up, more often than not, a pastor will say that these are new attitudes for you, a new be attitude for you, something for you to go off and try and be and do and exemplify throughout your life. But most of them do that because, well, they just, it's how they were taught. They find an English little thing to move around within, to catch in your ears, and they don't look at what the origin of these words are. The name Beatitude comes because when this was written in Latin, every one of these verses began with the word beati. It's the Latin word for blessed, or sometimes beautiful even, but most often translated as blessed as we do see here. Blessed are all these people. The message of the words is that you are blessed. Now, I don't want to dig in too much to these other people who want to mess around with the English words and call them be-attitudes, things for you to do, but I don't want this to be something that's present in our minds throughout all this time. Looking at these verses, and if you want to think of them as things that you have to do, something you have to be, it gets a little taxing or a little self-defeating and depressing. I mean... If you're looking at them as requirements, you could try and do some of them. Many Christians want to do them, such as being pure in heart. No one does, wants to be in, stuck in the muck and mire of sin. Many Christians want to be good peacemakers. Some want to be humble and be seen as meek. But each one of those things are areas where we do fall and fail. We can't keep them up all the time. We can't always be perfect if we want to try and do them all the time. Instead of being blessed, we'd be cursed. But the promise of these words are that these people are blessed. God's word is faithful. It's a difficult word to take at face value here that you are blessed. These opening words on the Sermon on the Mount begin by throwing us in the deep end. And by breaking down these verses, the first halves never describe a blessed state. I mean, blessed are the poor. I mean, whoever thinks that being poor is a blessing. Blessed are those who mourn. I don't know a single person who is mourning a loss, either of life or something else in, in uh, terms of property that they'd say they're blessed. Mourning is terrible. Nobody ever wants to be meek because it doesn't just mean humble. The literal translation would be something more like being a pleasant doormat letting everyone walk all over you. Hungering and thirsting are things that we always want to alleviate. We want to eat and drink. Being a peacemaker sounds good until you realize peacemakers are the ones who are in the middle of war. With these understandings, it looks like 
what Jesus is speaking to or who Jesus is speaking to are those who are constantly cursed. But one of them, one in the middle, sounds like there is a blessing on either side. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think that this verse by itself is, could be the reason that we have it on All Saints Sunday. The people who, I was saying this a little while ago at St. John, that in a list of Christian questions and answers, they say, if, you're, if you don't hunger for the sacrament, what should you do? And one thing is to reach in and see if you're still alive. Because everyone who's alive needs to have forgiveness from God. But then the other thing they say after that is look around if you are still alive and see if Jesus has come yet. Because if the world has ended, if Christ has returned, if you are seeing God face to face, then you know that you are blessed. That you are now pure in heart and not in need of constant forgiveness anymore. If you remember your Old Testament history, the only person who saw God face to face, well, actually, wait, no, it wasn't face to face, it was his backside, it was Moses. And that's the only person who saw God. For many hundreds of years, this Sunday has been used to remember all of the saints, especially those who weren't given a special Sunday throughout the year. During the Middle Ages, this focused on those that the Roman Church had certified, canonized as official saints. But since the Reformation, we remember that we are all God's saints, washed in the blood of the Lamb, made pure and holy through baptism, and continue as saints through the rest of our lives. And we take this Sunday to remember those who are not saints here on earth, but instead saints who are at rest. They do see God. They are pure at heart. They have that special blessing that someday we will join in with them. But of those living, it's easy to say that no one has seen God, except we know that the Son of God, sent from the bosom of the Father himself, has seen God. Jesus is the only person still alive who has seen God outside of the flesh. And we also know that he is pure of heart as well. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus himself is alive and perfect. So as much as we say this for those who are dead, who are at rest and waiting for the resurrection, we say that this is especially true about Jesus. Blessed are the pure of heart, so they shall see God. That beatitude certainly is about Jesus. So let's hold on to that and apply that to the rest of the Beatitudes. We see that Jesus was a true peacemaker. He reconciled between God and man. Jesus was merciful. He did not count the sin of offense against those who repented. Jesus hungered and thirsted for righteousness. Especially as we hear from the cross, he did say, I thirst. Jesus was meek, a doormat, agreeable, as people walked over him and beat him and dragged him to the cruc crucifixion to be killed for our sins. 
Jesus mourned over friends who had died and over Jerusalem who had gone astray. And even while he had the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the greatest and most precious Spirit, he humbled himself and counted himself as the poorest of them all. And he gave up his Spirit for us. As cliche as it sounds, the Beatitudes are most clear about Jesus. He was the blessed Son of God. And these words show us that He is blessed. Blessed are they. Blessed are those. Blessed is Jesus. And we could leave it there. We could say this is about Jesus and just walk away. But Jesus doesn't, it's it's not a prophecy just about Jesus. Because Jesus, on the last of these nine different blessings, doesn't just speak in general terms. He looks at the crowds. Instead of saying, blessed are they or those, he looks at them and says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, like before, this does not sound like a blessing at all. This doesn't sound like a good thing. No one wants to be reviled or persecuted. But first of all, this is all that happened to Jesus as well. He was also reviled and persecuted. But then this is a blessing to you when it happens to you on his account. Blessed are you because at those times where you suffer, you are connected to Christ. And by being connected into Christ, by being part of his body, you share with the blessings of all the rest of the Beatitudes. The entire church is poor of spirit and they receive the kingdom of heaven. The entire church is mourning, but they are given the comfort of the gospel. The entire church is meek, and they inherit the earth. The entire church hungers and thirsts for righteousness, but they are satisfied through Christ's righteous body and blood. The entire church is made pure of heart through the washing of baptism, and they see God in the face of Jesus. The entire church is a peacemaker because we come to those who are lost and condemned And we say to them, you are forgiven. All of these blessings are spoken to us. All of these blessings describe who we are in this broken and sinful world. So then instead of making these things that we should go out and do, instead we should recognize what Jesus says at the end of these words. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As difficult as it is to see, not to see, but to exist in this cursed world where we do have all of these failings around us, we're called to rejoice and be glad. We know that even in the face of this world's sufferings, we do have great blessings. Some of these blessings are hidden until we join those who have died in faith. But heaven is not just in the future. 
the kingdom of heaven is not given to us only when we die, but the kingdom of heaven comes wherever we receive God's word and his gifts. God's church, his holy people here on earth, is the kingdom of heaven. In this time and this place, you do find reward. You find it in the community of the believers around you. You find it in the comfort of the gospel. You find it in the life-giving body and blood of Jesus given from this altar. You find your great reward in Jesus and where he gives his gifts. Jesus has blessed you by joining you to himself. Blessed are you. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.